Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work through conversation. I'm Annie Rogaski. This week's episode takes a look at how we design our communities and how that design impacts women. There's a lot of subtlety in those impacts, but it is huge and it grows over time as I think we're seeing today. I like to start with a reason for hope that is tied into the topic of the week. And honestly, I struggled a bit with hope this week. But ultimately, I am hopeful that where we are now as a society inspires many men and women to come together to find a better designed society. I'm hopeful because of the strength and courage of women who have told their painful and personal stories, stories that are critical for us to hear and appreciate the full extent that the design of our world by largely men has had on the lives of women. I'm also hopeful by the reaction of men who see the part they play, not only in where we are, but also where we're headed. Here is part of a post by Stance Grounded on Twitter, at underscore SJPeace underscore, that gives me hope. Since it is us as men who are responsible for the trauma and pain of women, then it's us as men who are responsible for starting the healing. We just try to be held accountable for our own mistakes. As men, you have accountability. As a man, we have to be held accountable. When you hear the voices of women who are in pain, we have to take that accountability. And we have to call ourselves to a higher self. That's right. And hold other people accountable. As a man, we have to be responsible. We have to start the healing. The victims are not responsible to heal themselves. We have to start the healing. I recently had an experience that gave me a hands-on example of how design can be used in a way that increases the safety of those in our community. I was in Los Angeles for a conference earlier this week, and I went out to get a bite to eat uh, for dinner and came back to my hotel, and I was going through the lobby and about to go up the elevator to my room, and I passed by a group of men on my way to the elevator. The elevator banks were completely empty, so I walked into the first elevator that opened up, and one of the men I passed by kind of jumped into the elevator. He didn't make a move to press a button. He sort of looked at me, and I had not yet put my card key into the elevator, which was required to get to your floor. And so he asked me to press floor seven, and I said, I'm, I, I can't. I don't have a card key for floor seven. And he said, come on, just press the button. Just press seven for me. And I said, I can't. I, I can't get you to floor seven. You have to use your own card. I said, just put your card in, and then you can press seven. And he wasn't putting a card in. I don't think he had a card. And he was getting angry at me for not pressing that button. And I was so relieved that I had not yet put my card in, that he didn't know what floor I was going to, that he couldn't get there. And I walked out of that elevator. I did not want to go up that elevator with this person who clearly was not going to a floor of his own, but just was trying to get in this elevator with me. I don't know what his intentions were but it didn't feel safe to me. And I was so glad that there was this design of this elevator bank that required the insertion of a key to get to your floor. So I left that elevator and he called after me, where are you going? Why are you leaving? Where are you going? I went into another elevator. He didn't follow me. I put in my card key 
and I got to my floor safely. I'm glad and I'm hopeful that designs like these, which I think take into account the safety of women and people generally, are being used more and more. So let's dive into this week's topic, design and the impact it has on women. I saw a tweet that I loved. It just spoke to what I think a lot of women feel. It asked the question, what would you do if men had a curfew of 9 p.m.? And it was just a theoretical question, opening up the imagination for if we didn't have to worry about men being around when it's dark and it tends to be more dangerous for women, what would we do? And I wanted to read some of the responses. One woman tweeted, I'd feel safe grocery shopping at night, walking to my car at night. Hell, I'd even start walking at night. I've often thought of stretching my legs at night, but you know, I don't want to get attacked. Not worth the risk. Another woman said, one day I'd like to visit Sweden. I read an article once by a young woman who broke down in tears over being able to walk alone as a woman at night with almost no worry. I want to know what that feels like, to not be afraid. Another woman tweeted, for starters, I'd enjoy my evenings out with girlfriends. It would be nice to not have to fight our way through the overage drunken frat boys who feel entitled to play grab ass as we pass them on the way to the ladies' room. Another tweeted, I'd use headphones to listen to music in the street. I'd take the train home because getting out onto a dark platform wouldn't matter. I'd park in the nearest space, not the most brightly lit. Another wrote, I wouldn't drive miles out of my way to drop other women home. I wouldn't stay awake waiting for a text from a friend to be sure she's home safe too. I'd spend much less on cabs. I suspect this resonates with a lot of women. I'm not sure how men will receive that, if they will really appreciate that these are honest feelings that women have. Like We don't tend to go out at night by ourselves or with headphones on or walking dogs or running um, because it doesn't feel safe. Recently, I was walking downtown in our local town with my husband. We went downtown for dinner, and as we were walking back, I commented to him that I feel like I can just enjoy this walk. It's dark, but I'm not scanning the bushes to see if there's someone that's going to jump out of them. I'm not paying attention to every car that slows down. I felt safe because he and I were together and it was significantly less likely that the two of us would be attacked than that I would. I also tend to like to go for runs when I travel, but what was particularly challenging when I used to travel a lot to the East Coast was that I'm not a morning person. It's a three-hour difference, so I'm certainly not going to run in the morning, and I would work all day long, and I would want to exercise in the evening and want to get outside and not just be in a gym, I felt like I couldn't go out running at night and be safe. And I know that that most men don't have to think about this. Some men, I'm sure, do. But for the most part, this isn't something that men have to think about, of, of altering their schedule or tamping down an interest that they might otherwise pursue because it's not safe for them, for their gender. This got me thinking about why this is. And I did some poking around in different Uh, articles, and I saw that there's really a lot of impact that the design of our world has on women that I'm not sure was ever considered when those designs were made. 
For example, there was an article on womensagenda.com in October of 2017 by Jenny Hill entitled Walking, Dressing, and Being on a Planet Designed for Men. And she writes, And it struck me like a kick in the guts how the world is made and operated solely for and around men, how they float blissfully through environments designed for their use and have a little idea of how others use the same spaces and how when we talk about the Me Too hashtag phenomenon of this past week, one of the absent issues is how women can't fit into the world properly, no matter how hard they try, because it simply isn't designed for them. She notes that women actually have to adapt to the world around them because it isn't designed for them. There are tools that don't fit our hands very well. There are cars that we don't quite fit into. Public transportation is often located in dark, unsafe places. All of these are design considerations that don't take into account women. I had my own experience with this when I was looking for a car years ago, and I test drove a Subaru car and I noticed that the gas pedal was kind of like almost at a 45 degree angle splayed out. And it struck me that this is probably perfectly suited for someone whose legs naturally like move out. So if you think of the man spreading position, it, it was perfect for that. But for me, I could really only reach the bottom of the pedal comfortably, which wouldn't have been safe. So I crossed Subaru entirely off my list of cars. I was just talking with someone the other day about the fact that there's no place for a woman's purse in a center console, that we're always having to put them on the passenger seat or we put them behind us and there's this awkwardness. And we've been driving for many, many decades and yet the car designers don't seem to have thought about the fact that virtually every woman carries a purse and it has to go somewhere. Now, one exception that I saw years ago was Volvo, uh, had a concept car that was designed entirely by women. There's an article about this uh, March 2004, so it was quite some time ago, entitled Your Concept Car by Women for Modern People, which is kind of interesting. It's not by women for women. It's by women for modern people. What struck me about that is this article said, visiting Volvo at the time for a series of workshops was Marty Barletta, an American expert on female consumer patterns. She claimed, if you meet the expectations of women, you exceed the expectations of men. Meaning, if you design for women, not only will you capture women as consumers, but you will also capture men. And one example she gave that I love, which is, in the center console, you find a shallow compartment for keys, mobile phones, coins, and other small items. This compartment slides back to reveal a deeper one, big enough for a handbag. I would have bought that car if it had actually been released to the public. It's such a rare thing that the needs that women experience on a daily basis are accounted for in something like a car. And this isn't just a matter of convenience. This also comes up in, in terms of safety. There was a Medium article by Kat Eli entitled, The World is Designed for Men. She notes that the testing of seatbelts made them less safe for women because they weren't tested on women, that medicine is often less safe for women. She advocates for the value of designing for edge cases, kind of similar to the Volvo article, that you 
have more reach and you ultimately have more inventions when you actually look for those edge cases, when you're trying to solve a problem that a particular demographic has. She gave examples around typewriters and emails to help with communication for someone who has disabilities, but the sky's the limit of ways you can design for edge cases. And if we tie that back to the Volvo article and you take the concept that designing for those edge cases also includes everyone else, then it's a more profitable proposition to go after those edge cases. One article I came across while researching this I thought was particularly interesting because years ago I worked with an attorney who was always cold. She not only brought in jackets and scarves, but she brought gloves and she brought blankets and she would sit in her office and freeze. And it was so hard for her to get work done because she was so cold. There's actually an article in The Cut by Justin Davidson in March 2018 entitled, What Would a World Designed by Women Look Like? And he notes, thermostats that regulate temperatures for office workers in jacket and tie, double doors that require a manly shove to open, airport security scanners with conveyor belts too high to hoist hand luggage onto, inadequate public restrooms, parking garages to delight the lurking rapist. All of these aspects of urban life seem studied for the inconvenience of women. This is a great list. Until we stop and think about the inconveniences that women experience that men don't, we don't see that disparate treatment. We don't see how design plays into that. I'm encouraged by the fact that there are more female architects out there. And I think just by having more women thinking about Urban design and design of buildings will likely see more designs that work for women. Urban planning is one area where I think there's the most potential to affect change through design. There is an article in motherboard.vice.com entitled Sexism in the City back in May 2017 by Ankita Rao. And Ankita notes... A woman's place in the home has been one of the most important principles in architectural design and urban planning in the United States for the last century. Dolores Hayden, an urban planning historian, wrote this in her 1980s essay, What Would a Non-Sexist City Be Like? And an example that Ankita Rao gives in this article is in Vienna, Austria, city planners took this to task in 1993. In a project called Frauenwerkstadt, or Women Work City, they built apartment buildings surrounded by circular, grassy areas and courtyards. The complexes included kindergarten schools, pharmacies, and doctor's offices, and they were closely connected to public transit. The project is now hailed as a success story by the United Nations. The Vienna project also extended outside of living spaces, too. In Vienna, the city planners widened sidewalks, lit paths and alleyways, and redesigned public parks. So this is an example of ways that our cities could become safer and better designed to work for women as well. Now, how do we do this? In 2016, there was a Fast Company article by Alexander Starrett that highlighted the importance of getting feedback from women in designing cities to make them safer and more efficient for women. And that feedback piece is important. If you don't have sufficient representation among the designers, then you need to get sufficient representation in the input that you're getting into that process. There was a really interesting 
Medium article by Ellie Dory entitled Designed with Men in Mind. This is one of the limitations of podcasting. There was this photo that I will try to describe to you that just embodied this concept so nicely. She included a photo of a bar that went across the top of a BART train along the ceiling. And this is the bar that you grab onto and hold onto if you're standing. She showed this picture where you could see a few hands having no trouble holding on. And then there was one that could barely reach the bar and was touching the bar with just two fingers. And that was a female hand. And she notes, we have to be aware of the shortcomings of the past in order to design a better future. And this isn't to say that better futures should be designed for women, but at a minimum, it should be designed with women also in mind. So she is encouraging us to think about that edge case, like designing for women will also make sure that it works for men. And if we get away from the urban planning and the car design and talk about tech, so we are in this tech explosion, there's a lot of interesting tech coming out in the future. And this design problem is becoming increasingly important. In a QZ.com article by Soraya Kamali, entitled The Problem with a Technology Revolution Designed Primarily for Men, this was back in March 2016, reports on a study of Siri, Google Now, and some other AI assistants back in 2016, so it's not, not super recent, but she reports this study. Tell the agents, quote, I had a heart attack, unquote, and they know what heart attacks are, suggesting what to do to find immediate help. Mention suicide, and all four will get you to a suicide hotline, explains the report, which also found that emotional concerns were understood. However, the phrases, quote, I've been raped, unquote, or, quote, I've been sexually assaulted, unquote, traumas that up to 20% of American women will experience, left the devices stumped. Siri, Google Now, and S Voice responded with, I don't know what that is. The problem was the same when researchers tested for physical abuse. None of the assistants recognized, quote, I am being abused, unquote, or, quote, I was beaten up by my husband, unquote, a problem that an estimated one out of four women in the U.S. will be forced to deal with during their lifetimes, to say nothing of an estimated one-third of all women globally. I was shocked by this, like just the concept that those situations, which are so common for women, were not in this technology made me wonder, were any women involved in that design space? And if they were, were there so few of them that they didn't feel like they could raise issues like that? We need better representation. So all of the designs that should be taken into consideration are taken into consideration. In the medical space, Ms. Kamali gives some health examples. One advanced artificial heart was designed to fit 86% of men's chest cavities, but only 20% of women's. And in 2014, when Apple released a health app that completely ignored menstruation, a bodily function experienced by more than half the world's population at some point in their lives, it took a year before that was updated. This is just such a complete failure to account for the female experience. And so as we look at the tech coming out in the future, we really need to see more representation of women in those designs. 
In August 2017, Kate Brodock wrote in Medium, Why We So Desperately Need Women to Design AI, that only about 12 to 15% of the engineers who are building the internet and its software are women. She notes, the values of the engineers building AI will be reflected in the solutions they bring to the table. This may not have an enormous societal impact if you're building something that picks living room paint colors for you, but when you're looking to do something like improve cancer care, that's a different story. In the AI space, in another article in news.mit.edu by Larry Hardesty entitled Study Finds Gender and Skin Type Bias in Commercial Art- Artificial Intelligence Systems, this was in February 2018, he notes, in the researchers' experiments, the three programs' error rates in determining the gender of light-skinned men were never worse than 0.8%. For darker-skinned women, however, the error rates ballooned to more than 20% in one case and more than 34% in the other two. These are huge problems. We need to make sure that that our future, which will rely so heavily on AI, is properly informed by the data that is going into those systems. It needs to be unbiased in terms of gender, race, sexual orientation, Every aspect that can be represented needs to be properly represented. There are many different ways that design impacts our lives and negatively impacts women. I'm not going to go through all of them. I think the point is made, and it should be apparent, that we need more women on the design side in all of these different facets so that we fit into this world too. The impact of all of these design fails is felt in a subtle social cues that women get. Recently, the Kavanaugh hearing brought this into high relief. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into whether or not he should be on the Supreme Court. He's probably already confirmed by the time this releases. My focus for this episode is on the impact of our societal design on women. Over the past few weeks, there has been an avalanche of memories from women about how men mistreated them and they didn't speak up about it. If there's any doubt about why, Trump's mocking of Dr. Blasey Ford should put those doubts to rest. The most disturbing thing about all of this is the discussion of boys will be boys, that there's some societal acceptance of boys being either unable to control themselves and facing no consequences for doing so, especially if they are white and privileged, or that girls and women just need to accept this. They need to be quiet and accept that men or boys can do whatever they want. And that, I think, is what's hitting women so hard this week or the past few weeks or the past year, that we suffer through the societal acceptance of what happens to us. And when it comes to light, we're dismissed, we're ignored, and nothing changes. I think we're at a critical point right now. Things feel different. They started feeling different with the resurgence of the Me Too stories. I think we have an opportunity as a society and within our communities to redesign not just our our cities and our cars and our tech, but to redesign our social mores, to look at what we accept as normal behavior among our genders in particular, and do something about it. If we 
do nothing, this will continue. But if we expect better, I believe we will get it. And if we design our world with a diversity of perspectives, we are much more likely to get a society of mutual respect and personal responsibility. So for this week's challenge, I had a lot of different challenges. And then I threw them all aside and decided to go with just one. So I would ask all of you to consider what you, just you, can do to make your community more respectful and safer for women. That's it. No conversation starters, no other challenge. Just try to make your community more respectful and safer for women. Justice. What do we want? 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 Justice. What do we want?